when I look back at all the different ways that I was putting pressure on myself at every stage, it was really harmful. And it's, it's one of these things that sounds simple. It takes practice. And I, I think that would be another thing I would say is that these things, you don't have to believe them. You just have to practice them, but not too much. What a change had been so profound that I looked full at the problem in the face. Like, okay, insomnia, do your worst. I'm not running from you. I'm not going to be scared. It's just sometimes it's just so simple. Like the truth, the truth has to be simple. Otherwise, it's not the truth. I was so trapped in my head before. When I say my whole life changed, like my whole life changed. I'm Coach Daniel, and this is a Sleep Coach School. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Talking Insomnia episode. Today, I am honored to be joined by someone that I had the chance to work with through the Sleep Coach School. And so, Mike, I want to welcome you. Thanks so much for being here today. My pleasure. Hello. Hi. So I'd love to just dive right in and ask you some questions about your insomnia story. And so first off, how did things start for you? For me, it was sort of a continuation of a thing that had been with me for a long time, um, about seven years ago, I started having just really disturbing sensations and stuff that developed into anxiety disorder or panic disorder, however you want to call it. Sure. Went through a stint of that, mostly recovered with cognitive behavioral therapy. And then some years went by, I went through some pretty difficult personal work times. And then suddenly I had profound stomach issues. My stomach was constantly on fire. I went through all the gastro stuff, saw experts, uh, everything was fine on paper. And then I found a bunch of resources there, which I think we kind of shared a bit in common yeah. around like the mind-body connection to how stress shows up in, in different symptoms. I used a couple of resources, which maybe we'll talk about later. And uh, again, kind of, I would say recovered, but that was a, a bit of a bloody one. I came out of that one constantly. I mean, as an example, I wasn't like walking around every day thinking, you know, are things going to get at worst because a lot of days were pretty bad it wasn't like i was out of the woods i had a lot of tension a lot of panic attacks just things that i sort of learned to live with mm -hmm. and i remember i was starting a new job and he was in a kind of senior role and i was talking to the folks who were hiring me and they asked you know what are you thinking about starting and i said i'm looking forward to it but i just want to warn you like this has happened to me before it'll probably happen again and i was kind of like giving them the heads up like you know Damage gets here, so you don't have to buy it buy at your own risk. And that was kind of present in my thinking. Like, I, I was a bit frustrated. So a couple years after that, so this is seven years into it, this would have been April of 2022. Likewise, everything was going quite well. I liked my job. I was doing a lot of things, volunteering for things. I was uh, pursuing my faith practice a lot. I was doing a lot of stuff and felt pretty good. But there was one day where I came home from uh, in April from like an Easter celebration with my folks and I heard like blood rushing through my ears. And uh, I've had so many different nervous system related things that I was like, oh, a new one. So I kind of shrugged it off, but it was disturbing me. And I, I remember looking it up. It was called uh, pulsatile tinnitus. I kept listening to it. It was kind of driving me bonkers. And I don't remember exactly how it happened. You know, I remember going to visit a friend and biking to see them and I almost passed out and I was like, what is happening? This is not normal. Like I've never felt like actual really difficult physical effects from what I experienced. And uh, one day I got my blood pressure checked and it was like high-ish. It's like 140 or something. Okay. And that's a number that's like 20 or 30 points higher than I'd ever seen it personally. Um, it had been higher. I just never knew because I didn't care. Right. And um, I got spooked. I left it for a month and then I checked it again 
again. I can't remember why. And it was like 160. And I remember 160 over 90 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something I think inside me lost it. I was really stressed. I went to the walk-in clinic. They said they should put me on medication and, but like wait a month. And I went to bed the night after I went to see that walk-in doctor. And I've had a lot of stuff happen tonight. I've had panic attacks and stuff. I kind of have a, I had a way of working with it. Yeah. But that night I just had extreme, like crushing pressure in my head and in my chest. And I've had it before, but not like this. It was like dialed up to 12 and it lasted for like three hours. And so I remember sitting there while it was happening in like this calm place thinking like my body really doesn't like what's going on, but I don't know what to do. Next day I was tired, kind of a mess. And then the next night I went to bed, you know, I'd never had trouble sleeping really ever. And uh, I was very sleepy, but every time I started to fall asleep, I would jerk awake. And mm. that went on for like four hours. And I've had the thing prior to this where as you're falling asleep, like it feels like you got thrown out of plane and you, you're like, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I words. Um, <laughs> but this was different. It was like very gentle. But every time I started to drift to sleep, it would jerk me awake and jerk me awake. Mm. It did appear yeah. through four hours because I've been through so many weird things with my body i didn't immediately flip out i was just like oh it's it's a new thing so i was trying to calm it down and stuff but something in my mind was like this is finally the thing i'm not okay with i've been through like dozens of these but i just for me like at that time getting through the day was already hard and i think i wasn't admitting to myself how hard it was so this was i think a point at which you know i just kind of ran out of steam some part of me was freaking out it was like looping and i was i looked it up and you know i found stories of people who were like this for years and this kind of stuff. And uh, the next night, the whole night it went on, I didn't sleep at all. Mm. Next day I freaked out a bit. Next night it happened again. And from here it just kind of escalated. I took time off work. They gave me a couple of weeks. And um, I think, I don't remember, like maybe a week into it, it had been the third or fourth night in a row or from my perspective, I hadn't slept at all. I just started having really whirling thoughts about ending my life basically. Yeah. And I ended up in the ER. And that's when I, they threw a whole bunch of drugs at me and, and that's how it started. I could be, I mean, we can kind of go on from there, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's what led up to it. So it wasn't really out of nowhere, but the symptom itself was like really out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it was not what I would have expected my body could do, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's so common is even if we've experienced other strange symptoms in our bodies, sometimes we get a new one. And we're like, that's it. That one's not okay. There's something about that one that is not okay. And for me, I remember it was the first time I started having twitches and jerks. Even though I already had insomnia, the twitches and jerks for me were just, that was it. It was crossing a line somehow. And it created a whole other level for me that I almost stepped into a different part of my insomnia because of this particular symptom. So it makes complete sense that that is sort of how things really sparked and then sort of translated into having a lot of trouble sleeping. Because of course the jerks will are really good at preventing sleep, really good at coming and doing that. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I, I think I'm not a big why person anymore. I think that was a big trouble point for me. I think what was sort of the tipping point for me was that I was enduring a lot of my life without realizing that things were hard. And one thing I could rely on is that I could go to bed at night and forget about it for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like I had the best, I slept well, but many nights, like two or one or two nights a week, I'd get woken up by a panic attack. I'd get through it. Honestly, they didn't bother me. I was just used to it. And uh, so I might be awake for two or three hours. It never bothered me. I never thought like, oh, maybe I'm not getting enough sleep, you know? Yeah. Um, 
it was just when it went from that to zero <laughs> yeah. that it was a bit of like, okay, I don't know if I can handle this. Like I've handled a lot, but this is maybe it. Yeah. And that's when things kind of went off the rails. And is that when you and I connected through the sleep coach school or was there sort of a journey before that? Yeah. So I guess we're looking at, it's really foggy now, but I think it must have been a couple of weeks in April where I started looking around for help. And I, you know, I knew that I'd been through crazy stuff that doctors couldn't really explain before and recovered. So it kind of actually, when I first found the sleep coach school, I don't remember how I found it, but I read the books. I forget which the first one was. I think I just read one of them actually. Was it, was it set it and forget it, which is sort of Daniel's main first one. Yeah. 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 And I remember getting through it and I think maybe a lot of people read that book and come up being like, oh my gosh. But for me, I was actually in worse spirits after I read it because the reason why is that when I read it, I was like, oh, this is actually very similar to all the stuff I've done before. And yet I'm still here. So I believed it. Like I knew it wasn't a question of seeing this thing and thinking, will this help me? I knew the answer was yes. But where I was kind of devastated was like, but it's also kind of more of the same. And so if it hasn't helped me before, like maybe I've just run out of things that'll help Mm -hmm. me. And at that time, I was really still in the mindset, which I think makes sense when you're in acute distress of like, like, I need something that will work, not something that will help me. I need something that will take this so, you know. And so there was this fight in my head about like, you know, that's not possible. You know, you're going to have to live this for who knows how long and accept that. But the uh, there was a strong part of me that was like, absolutely not. And so, yeah. but yeah, so I think I read the books. I remember I got up one day after it was like the third night in a row of, from my perspective, getting zero sleep. And I read the book from like 4 a.m. until... 8 a.m. and I was done. You know, like that's it. I read yep. all day. What what I came out of after that happened was I thought to myself, uh, you know, I consulted, I talked to people who were close to me because they were really worried about me. That in the past I'd been pretty rigid about what I would allow to help me. You know, I would find a thing that I thought was good for me. I would practice it, and I don't know if you recognize this, but th- I think um, what I've seen now helping other people go through. I don't know how much I'm helping, but you know, connecting with people who are experiencing things related to anxiety or just stress almost is that I think some folks go through a really long arc of like, I found the thing that works. And like, you can tell because they want to tell everybody like, this is the one thing. Did you read this one book? You know, this one book really helped me. And uh, I think I was kind of on that train. Maybe it was like two or three books. But um, and when they failed me, I was really like, okay, I need to open myself up a bit. And it's gonna be really uncomfortable. And I, I that was an understatement. (laughs) So I'd never really tried anything medication wise before by fluke the day after i came out of the er um they kept me the night they threw all kinds of meds at me they gave me um i don't remember all the names they gave me sertraline they tried to give me tr- uh yeah i had terrible experiences with that I-, I believe it had nothing to do with the drug that was causing me to have terrible experiences with it <laughs> and then uh they threw a bunch of clin- uh ativan or clonazepam I, mean, I, I think it was clonazepam they got on staff i think it was helpful that i didn't expect like I went into the ER knowing that they wouldn't be able to help me. That was mm. helpful having that mindset because when I went in, they threw a bunch of stuff at me and the guy was kind of rude and he's like, this is your fault, blah, 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 threw a bunch of stuff at me. And when yeah. I told my partner what had happened, they were very upset, but I was like, I'm not upset. I'm just glad that I spent the night and they knocked me out and I got to spend a peaceful day in, they'd walk me in a room basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in case yeah. Uh, they were worried about self-harm. So I came out of all that and... I was spending some time at a relative's and they mentioned that they have a, it's a long story, but they have a connection to a psychiatrist and okay. they were willing to see me right away. So I have to go see them. And, um, that 
was the beginning of another journey that I'll have no idea ever if it was, I think it was helpful, you know, but it was certainly not short term helpful. Things got much worse before they got better. Okay. And um, there was distinctly a period of time where they asked me to stay on out of band long term. Yeah, I, think <laughs> I remember when I was watching all the sleep coach videos and stuff, people would talk about the medications they're taking. My crazy mind would be like, oh, I wonder how much they're taking and for how long. And so I'm going to tell folks in case you're worrying that like, <laughs> oh, what so is doses. Yeah. But um, I think when they first got to me, they're like, take take a milligram a day of Ativan half in the morning, half in the evening. Yeah. You know, I started doing that. And the first time I took the Ativan at night on the recommendation of my psychiatrist, I'd already taken it a couple times and it was fine. But that okay. night I put it in my mouth, I lay back, I closed my eyes and I swear to God, I saw like a fire column coming out of my body. Like it was a full out, oh. like I was awake, but it was just like, the devil was coming to get oh. like my body was not having it you know it, it was quite a powerful like i don't know hallucination or whatever i don't like mm -hmm. i opened my eyes it was gone it was not like it was there in the room yeah you know? but um <laughs> yeah not not happy about it so i went through a really stressful period there where the thoughts returned about self-harm and this kind of stuff and they got quite intense for a period of a few weeks there were med changes during this time things got yanked around here and there i don't remember at all but um there was a period of time where i thought my I just, things were over. This was it. Like my life was destroyed. I wasn't being able to work anymore. I wasn't going to be able to feel anything other than suffering anymore. And, uh, I have a faith practice that's a form of Buddhism and I'd been practicing it with various forms of intensity for like the last couple of years. And, um, the main practice is where you chant and, uh, it's like meditation, except you're chanting. It's a, it's a bit more active. And I remember thinking like, you know, I don't know if this can help me, but if ever there was a time where it could help me, maybe now is it. So mm -hmm. on the days where, you know, I would get out of bed and immediately it would be a heavy weight of just my thoughts being completely impossible to contain. Like it was just brutal. I would get up, I'd go to my room where I chant and I would start chanting at like, I mean, depending between six and seven and I would chant till like 2 p.m. Mm -hmm. And because that whole time I was chanting literally for my life, like, I did not want to be alive every minute of every second of every day, you know, every unit of time of every day I, I wanted it to end. And so I would chant. And what I found is that there were other people in my area who I could connect with virtually who were all chanting for one reason or another. So somebody would be chanting from seven to nine, I would join them. And then somebody would start at nine and go to 12, I joined them. And, um, I just felt completely bereft, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, but I think the thing that helped me the most in us working together around this time, because by this time, I think we'd had like one or two sessions. Okay. The early things that were building up to being really helpful were around like how to pragmatically look after myself while this was happening. Um, because that was really hard for me. I wasn't, I thought I had gotten good at it and I really was not. Um, but it, it's also really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So that helped a lot. And, um, I'd say by the end of the summer, I had kind of gotten to the point where it wasn't agony being myself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, I don't remember how I was sleeping. It was not well. Like it was somewhere between, I, I stopped paying attention um, to the clock. That was a really helpful thing early on where I just go to bed. I think at that time I was going to bed super late too. Like I'd go and I was sleepy, which was never. So it was basically when I got exhausted of being awake, you know, or having my eyes open really was what it was. Yeah. So I'd go to bed around somewhere between midnight and three. I'd usually be out of bed 
sorry, I'd be awake early. And then I think it started getting hard for me to get out of bed because I was too tired or something. Anyways, um, but it was around August where I was like, you know, if I have to live, I'm going to give a shot at actually trying to be alive in in little ways. So Mm -hmm. I started working again, which was challenging. I do remember like a couple weeks into starting, I went into a week where I had been sleeping regularly if, if short periods of time, like three hours here, four hours there kind of thing. And I went into one week where I had a presentation at the end of the week. It was no big deal. It was just like presenting some ideas to coworkers. On the Sunday night, I I didn't sleep really hardly at all. And then I fully did not sleep until like Monday night did not, Tuesday night did not, Wednesday night did not. And I remember saying, okay, I'd get up every day. And I'd be like, it didn't happen again last night. I wonder if it'll happen again tomorrow night. I remember thinking like, I've not tested this, you know, in any meaningful way. The first time I went a big stretch of nights without sleeping, I lost it. Yeah. But this time I felt terrible, but I was kind of curious to see like, you know, they tell me eventually I'm going to collapse. Like, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> and it was not nice. How long can this go? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and I think the night before I gave the presentation or no, 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 it was not. Because I remember going to that presentation thinking like, I have not slept this week. Like, I really have not. And um, I remember hearing myself speak and thinking like, wow, this guy's pretty coherent considering what's going on, you know? And got to the end of it, and they're like, "Hey, that was good." You know, we 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 got a lot out of it. I felt no nothing except emptiness, you know. But it was kind of curious, and then it passed, and it picked up again. Okay. You know, I started sleeping. I think that night I I got a full night sleep for the first time in ages, and then you know went back to the previous pattern. But so that was kind of the start, and um, after that, I think around this time I started seeing you relatively frequently. It was like once every week or two, and Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm talking nonstop, so I don't know if you want to interject with anything. No, no, I, I think it's great to, I think everyone's going to really benefit from hearing your story as you tell it. So I'm intentionally not, I don't want to interrupt or anything. I have some some questions along the way, but no, I think just having people have the chance to hear your story is great. So please feel free to, to continue and, and share. I think some of the stuff that helped me around this time was that looking back, there were some things I'm happy that I did. When the hypnic direction stuff first started the very first thing I did my partner was in a really stressful job at the time I was having a hard time being alone but you know I wanted to keep my space because it was difficult for them being around obviously right but early on like I spent the first week in a different bed because I was like if I'm like this all night and I'm like you know I gotta keep them away and also I didn't want anybody around but after the first week I remember saying to myself and I talked to my partner about it, was that like, if if this is going to be the rest of my life, like, I don't want this to keep me in another room, mm. you know? So if I have to be awake all night, I might as well do what we were doing before. And so I did, you know, I just went back and I, I think that was good. I've noticed and I don't, I haven't watched the videos in a long time, but I've noticed several folks saying, you know, they, they went to a different room and that was like their bunker and, you know, this is where I live now. And um, <clears throat> that was starting, you know, for me. I think the other thing that helped too is early on, Despite the fact knowing that it wasn't going to do anything, I was trying like all of the things. Like I, I tried the teas, and you know, I won't go through the list. Yeah, yeah I was uh, going to ask you if how much of all that did you try? Was it kind of before you and I working together, or, or yeah. was it kind of yeah? I'll do it. Was in that first week of all this stuff happening where I knew it wasn't like I think this was the thing that helped me. I knew it wasn't going to do anything, but I, I wanted to try something. So like, I yeah, tried, we'll have to. I tried ashwagandha, which helped me feel calmer. I tried a bunch of teas. I don't remember. Uh, I tried melatonin. I took magnesium baths. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. I don't, I don't really? remember. But it wasn't like I gave myself a time limit. It's just I quickly realized that like 
this is completely detached from what my actual issue is. You know, like I, I knew that. So yeah. those are some things that went well. But some of the stuff that was new for me was just being useless. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's kind of a blunt way to say it. But for a long time, I, you know, the way I got through the day was like I was alone for a lot of it, too. Right? My partner was working a lot. Yeah. You know, on the days where I was working, work often didn't help me that much. I, you know, I was working from home. It was really difficult to focus. Uh, it was difficult to do anything really. And so I would just kind of look forward to, you know, maybe 7 p.m. that night where maybe we'd watch television together for two hours. Yeah. And then that was it. That was my day. You know, I'd look forward to that. If I got to that, I would, you know, yeah. that's what I look forward to. And uh, it wasn't even like that time was particularly enjoyable either. Kind of uncomfortable to sit there and watch. Uh-huh. I get it. It's a reprieve, though. I remember the same thing, thinking I just need to get to this point in the evening. Yeah. Yep. And holy heck, did I watch a lot of shows. I've never really watched TV much, but there's no more Netflix for me anymore. It's, it's, it, I reached the end. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> impossible. Mike, yeah. impossible. <laughs> and Prime, there's one other one. See, okay, I remember. But um, there are other things that help, too. Like my partner herself has been through some terrible, terribly difficult nervous system stuff and she had brutal insomnia for years like mm. and for her it was just um what she told me as i was going through is she didn't understand why i was suffering so much because for her when it had happened to her she'd had it since childhood okay and it got to a point where from what i understand like there were many nights where she would just basically like close her eyes and feel she said uh, her whole body felt electrocuted and it would just jerk her wake mm. over and over again like, oh that sounds familiar i was like how long did you go through this she's like i don't know like a decade or two and i was like oh my god she'd kill me now you know for her her life went on like it she wasn't worried about health effects. She wasn't worried because what everybody was telling her is like, hey, you'll just be tired. Like that was yeah. how they thought. And she's a bit older than me, but not much. She's just from a different place. Yeah. And, uh, so she didn't think about it. And so it got really like stuff. Other things got really bad and she went through everything. Right. So she understood what was happening, but she hadn't experienced as much the the panic. It was more yeah. uh, numbing, I think. Like she was shut down. Yeah. That, and- everything was heightened. Yeah. It makes sense. It actually makes me think of Coach Beth, a friend of mine who her insomnia lasted for about 40 years, started in early childhood. And I remember her talking about it in a similar way, almost like it normalizes sometimes when it starts so young and it's a little bit of a different experience, still very challenging, of course, but not necessarily the same way as a person might react when they first experience something like that in adulthood. So I think that has an impact. Like if we start to experience something really young and it normalizes a little bit, maybe that's well, the wrong way to say it, but that is sort of what I think. Yeah. And I think, yeah. um, but like not everyone will, for me, I don't think I would have. My, my aunt yeah. is 80 now and we're close friends. And then I didn't know this until, you know, I started talking to a few specific people, what was going on. And, you know, she's experienced really difficult sleeplessness since she was like 15 she's 80 right. and now like she'll say now like there's many times where she'll go like two or three nights without sleeping from her perspective i know my mom has stayed over there a few times she's like i hear your aunt snoring so i don't know that <laughs> but uh, classic you know, it's stuff like this yeah but it's yeah. clear that she doesn't sleep much you know and she said it got a lot worse around a time where i know she was going through some stress i don't know that she's connected with you but for her you know i it's easy to look at somebody like that and say you know i wish i could help them but her life's great you know like She's happy all the time. It never affects her emotions. Like she's, and maybe she has what you call like maladaptive ways of hang, but she's 80. Come on. She's lived a good yeah. life. She has a loving she's, family. She's, she's doing great. Food. Yeah. She's doing fine. Um, I, don't, I don't need to help anybody in that situation. Yeah. But um, yeah. So yeah. after the first two or three months of it being um, like really white knuckle, I got to August. I went back to work. I think part of me, I didn't feel it. But 
part of me felt uplifted by the fact that I had a routine. I was doing things. I remember the first time I was doing something at work where I saw other people are doing stuff. I'm like, this is insane. And I asked them a few questions. I'm like, that's a really good idea. And I remember thinking like, it doesn't matter how bad this gets. It still hasn't taken me away. Like there's things that I'm seeing differently that have helped me in my career before. It wasn't that I was all about career. It's just that that was all I was doing. So it was where I was seeing it. Sure. So I got into September and I remember thinking, okay, at that point, I've been yanked around a bunch. I started uh, SSRIs. I started on, uh, and again, I'll say dosages because I know people worry about these things. I think yeah. I got five milligrams initially of, um, I can't say the, I can never say the actual name of it, but in Canada, it's called Ciprolex. In the US, I think it's called Lexapro. It's as good as Calopram or something. I can't say it out loud. You know? <laughs> so they started me on five. They really quickly went up to 25. I think the, at the time when I was still like the kind of person who Googled things, I think like 20 milligrams is supposed to be like, the realistic ceiling, but like okay. there's people on 60 and 70 and those kind of things. And that experience was interesting because I remember walking around feeling dead and numb inside, but then there was a part of me that was warm and fuzzy. So it's not like it made me happier. It's like all of me was shut down, but there was part of me that's like, <laughs> and uh, it was really bizarre to watch, but it helped me, you know, it propped me up a little bit. And what I feel for me happens is that when the dosage increases, I feel like a specific set of effects that are sort of like uplifting. And then yeah. once it kicks in, it's a different set of effects that kick in okay. that are more like, you know, I'd always heard them called uh, antidepressants. And I think people are starting to move away from that, probably for good reason. The way I experience it is that I used to have like a pretty wide range of emotions, both low and high, and mm-hmm. it kind of takes the edges off of each. So I never get as ebullient as I used to, <laughs> but um, very few things bothered me as much as they used to. Like it used to be easy for me to listen to like a song from childhood, get really teary eyed. I'd cry at all the movies, this kind of thing. And, um, not so much anymore. I don't lose my temper as quickly, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me now at this point to tell, and I don't care much about like whether some of the stuff I've been doing outside of the medication has also rounded that out or not, but it, none of those effects were there in the early days, just the boost, like the boost. Yeah. And, um, it was quite bizarre. And it was helping me because I'd lost like 40 or 50 pounds in the stressful period. Mm, very and, common. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Couldn't everything tasted like ashes. And when I started taking the, the Ciprolex, I got hungry. That again felt weird because I didn't want to eat, but I was hungry. Um, so it just kind of helped me like limp along, you know? Yeah. So I started but that. Was, was that part of how you mentioned earlier? There is some, some of the things in the early days that were really helpful for you or really more around the pragmatic kind of taking care of yourself parts. Was that part of that? Could you share a little bit about what what that was for you? Yeah, that was more a cerebral, like there were things that I was doing that I knew would help me feel better. Like I started, uh, sorry, just like um, things that it may not change how I'm feeling, but I know that there are things that I like to do. And this sounds weird, like being so explicit about what was going on. But like, as I was doing things that helped me take care of myself, they didn't feel good. Yeah. But they were something, you know, like I, I started reading a little bit here and there. I re- and at that time I was really, really brain foggy. So I would forget things. Like I put a glass down, I forget it was there a lot of, I think I was just super stressed. Yeah. But I read whenever I've gone through a life crisis, I always read like giant book for some reason. So I read the brothers Karamazov and I got to the end. Of, I can't, ex- I can't tell you what happened in that book, but, uh, I really enjoyed reading it. And, uh, I read the entire dragon tattoo series, this kind of thing. So that was nice. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I started watching television with my partner. I used to not have time for it. I started playing video games, that kind of thing. I go for walks. I call family. I hadn't mm. really 
been doing as good a job at keeping up with people as I liked. And it was nice to know they were there. And then I eased up on having got to the point where I thought I would never be able to do anything again. When I came back into doing things, it didn't feel as urgent to like be the best at them. So, mm-hmm. you know, I gave myself a lot of slack there and my work was really good about that. But, um, so those were things that I think just generally helped me and I could, I could feel like those were yeah. not controversial. They were helping me, you know, seeing you was not controversial. Um, it really helped me and a, it's cause you're great. And also B, I think part of it is because what we were talking about were, was familiar to me. It was stuff that was not challenging, like in my heart, you know, I, I felt like, yeah, this aligns with who I am. Like this, this works for me. Yeah? The medication stuff was not bad at all. And it's kind of stupid now looking back. Well, not stupid. It's just where I was at, where for like seven years, I was going through a lot of stuff. It wouldn't have killed me to try SSRI, but I was mm. like dead set against it. Really fearfully, yeah. really narrow minded views of what was acceptable and what was not. So this was a big challenge. Like the thing when I first started feeling the, um, when I started experiencing the insomnia, I had like one or two days where I had like uncontrollable thoughts of self-harm and then it faded. But when they started me both on the SSRIs and they increased my Ativan dosage, I think it was, because it switched eventually, I lost it. Mm. That's when I saw the fire and all this stuff. And um, there was a solid three or four weeks where it was like that. That's when I was chanting and, and all this stuff. So it was, I know it was the medication starting that course of medication that triggered it. So coming into September, I said to myself, okay, I kind of tried to make a deal where I was always looking ahead to say, when am I going to get off the bendos? When am I going to blah, blah, blah. And I thought to myself, it's been a really rough few months. Can I just get through September day by day and just do what I can to enjoy life just for September? In October, I can freak out. That's fine. But, <laughs> you know, one month more on more or less on um, the clonazepam, maybe it'll kill me, maybe it won't, but for crying out loud, like, you know, let's just, yeah. let's try it. So that kind of succeeded. I got to like September 20th ish and then I freaked out. Um, <laughs> but for like a couple of weeks, I was able to kind of just go day by day and not stress too much over the future. And um, did that shift things? Because I remember working with you at that time, that idea of the day by day approach. What was that like? It took a lot of practice. Like at first yeah. it was not. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, it's one of those things where I was surprised that practice helped. It's easy mm-hmm. to think about, like, it's hard to do without practice, but it, I didn't, like, if somebody told me, like, you know, if you practice living a day at a time, you'll get good at it. You, you wouldn't think of that as a life skill, but it's yeah, really helpful. It, it sounds like a, a cliche that we almost are repelled by it when we hear stuff like that. Um, to me, it appealed because I, I'd always been sort of a, the only things that I would think about in the future were things I was scared of. I wasn't really, like, planning my future. I just worried about it. Of course. So yeah. the day-by-day thing was something that I, like, had appeal, like, it always intrinsically appealed to me. But I just wasn't good at it. So I think when I started with you, it was like, just try to go minute by minute, you know, hour yeah. by hour. And there were there were a lot of times where I was going like literally minute by minute in the yep. first couple of months for sure. And they came back. It's not like um, once I got to day by day, it stayed a day by day. No, there were a lot of times. So uh, that was a big help. Around this time, I'm losing track of when I tried things, but I started okay. trying some other nervous system practices. And surprisingly, like, if I could distill it down, the thing that helps me a lot that seems to be helping a lot of other people is like lying on a hard surface. It sounds stupid, but uh, we can go into that a bit later. Yeah. You taught me some things around orienting. And um, uh, another thing I learned around this time is that uh, there's multiple reasons why I feel like it's not a great idea to look up health information on the internet. Oh, yeah. But uh, a big one is that here's something I found kind of upsetting even when I experienced it was um, uh 
as I was looking for things that might help me, I was looking into some nervous system support things like practices that are around, you know, people have different, it's hard to talk about them because they're so big and I don't want to go on forever. No, I I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And maybe if this goes on YouTube or whatever, I can just leave some footnotes. Sure. There are a lot of them are resources you're familiar with, but what I was finding is that there's like uh, things really quickly become communities and spaces. And this to me is quite bizarre. Like you'd find um, like trauma healing communities. And I was just looking for somebody to help. And like for any given practitioner who was out there, there'd be a trail of like Reddit posts or something of like this person, like I, I came up with a term, which was like regulation shaming. Like they would say like this, uh, this trauma therapist isn't themselves well regulated so they're triggering me into and that may be the case could be could be yeah um where i was getting frustrated is like there's there's not anybody who's going to help me if they need to be perfect yeah and so i found a couple of resources where actually i could not stand the person running it Mm. and like it gave me creepy vibes as soon as i got on it and i thought you know i don't need to move in with this person i'm going (laughs) to try what they are suggesting i'll do my best to keep space my space from like their podcasts and they're whatever but i'm going to try the material and what was helpful is because they're interested in accessibility um they'd have videos but then they'd have transcripts and so when i felt open to listening to this person and hearing their voice i would listen like they it's on that level that they irritate me like i cannot (laughs) um, i get it i have the same thing with certain people i get it yeah i mean i think for me the 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 thing that's really distasteful in this space is that i am now this is my opinion it is not like a study or anything but i feel like what happens is if you're i mean you actually probably understand this way better than I do. If you're in a position where you're like a coach online, for example, mm-hmm. it's a lot of work to work well. Sure. So if you want to open up your audience to folks who are a big enough audience that you can scale, you're going to get all kinds. And I think what's really hard is that when you're going to get all kinds, maybe a small percentage of them are experiencing acute symptoms. Yeah. And so your actual audience ends up being a lot of people who are healthy and they're looking to optimize or get better. And uh-huh. it's really frustrating to be spoken to from that perspective when you're really suffering because you get messages like if you do these exercises your plants will grow better and like you know stuff like this i'm like my plants could die in a fire for all i care right now i just want to live you know that i found kind of distasteful because it felt to me like the resources that were most accessible are folks who are not doing it to help people they're doing it because they like it and there's a difference between that i'm not judging them Mm -hmm. it's great that they found something that they like but when you are in a position of suffering it's hard to learn from people who you are clearly, they don't really feel like they care about you. They care about the mission. Mm-hmm. That's different. So yeah. long course, yeah. but I think a lot of the folks watching this will probably end up looking for their own things. And for me, the thing that I want to kind of bottom line is that it was helpful for me to try things that I found distasteful. Not that I hated or I, I was powering through it, but I was able to separate out like, maybe I don't like where this is coming from, mm-hmm. but I will try it anyways and see it may not help me. I may not like it, but I'm going to give it a shot. And because I'd gone through being able to try taking clonazepam regularly for months, and I was still at that time thinking that this may be, this may destroy my life. Right? I, I yeah. wasn't confident yet that I was going to come out of it. I was looking at this being like, well, honestly, what's the worst? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. In a weird way, it opened you up to other, other things. Yeah. 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 So I took it slow. I tried little things here and there and um, somewhere around... December coming into Christmas, I started feeling like not much had changed. I was still going day by day. I was getting more comfortable with that. I still experienced a lot of wacky stuff, but I started to feel more settled about where I was at. Settled with being unsettled, I guess. And um, a good way to put it. 
Yeah, we'll talk about this a bit later too if we get to it. Just to kind of fast forward, I was August, September, October, November, December, five months into this. Mm-hmm. So I came into Christmas and the psychiatrist I was working with was saying, you know, you seem like you're doing better. They knew at that point that I was averse to being long term on the um, on the benzodiazepines. I didn't have a strong opinion about the SSRIs. Right. And I'd gone through quite an arc with the benzodiazepines. Like at one point my dose quadrupled. Mm-hmm. So I think and I think for a lot of people, maybe this isn't a big deal, but they put me on one milligram of clonazepam at one point likely and i was like i was going into surgery like i would take the thing i wasn't sleeping i was like relax like i was completely knocked out and i would be i was actually having trouble breathing a little bit and i'd be out for like 10 hours and then i had no feelings i was just like a zombie and for a week i was like i guess i'm trying this now like i wasn't panicky i tried to get out and do stuff i had no idea what's going on around me uh completely dead to the world yeah. and then i spoke to them about it and they're like why didn't you call me sooner i was like i don't know i'm trying things <laughs> you know they're like you how, long, yeah. how long was that period where you were on that that dose? about 10 days okay well i'm glad that you connected with them after 10 days i remember going to the mall with my partner because i really like i really like old mall and i was like you know maybe i'll feel some warmth by going to do this and i went for a walk in this old mall at one point i stopped and i just stood there and i just stood there for like 30 minutes and i was like i don't I feel nothing. I'll just wait for her to come back. I wasn't sad or happy. I was just numb. You know? Just numb. So anyhow, so I'd gone through that and I was like, well, some of these other things, trying them is maybe not so bad. So coming into December, I felt like maybe it's it's time to try to wean off of the, the benzodiazepines. But I, what I wanted to commit to myself was that I was not in a hurry. Mm. So initially when I thought about tapering, I wanted to go very slowly because I was scared. But when I came into December, I thought, no, I, I am actually, if somebody was to rip these away from me right now, I would probably find a way. But I would like to go slower because I think it will be easier. And I'm tired of everything being so damn. So I talked to my doctor about it. I don't think they realized how severely I was going to take going slowly. And I kind of got to the point where I don't know how easy it is to con a psychiatrist or not. But I was kind of at the point where like, I know what to tell them, I think, so that I'm not being irresponsible. I'm letting them know the most important things about me, but I'm not telling them everything because if I tell them everything, they're going to yank me around more than I'm comfortable with. And I'm tired of trying to explain this. That managed okay. And I had like the whole kit where you like, I bought a drug dealer scale. I'm sorry if that's offensive. You did it right, right? You did it it right. (laughs) A a food scale, you know. (laughs) food scale, correct. uh, (laughs) I had like a a weekly routine where I'd go and I'd like shave it. And I was going down by like 118 because I think I weighed the thing I was on 0.5 milligrams of clonazepam at this point. I weighed the thing and it was um, like 0.018 grams, something ridiculous. So I would try to shave off yeah. one of those every time or something like this. I can't remember. Yeah. And um, But as I went into, I thought I'll do this over the Christmas break because it'll give me some more time. Yeah, I did that and my body went insane. Like yeah. I reduced, I hadn't reduced the dose yet, <laughs> but I didn't sleep for Christmas yeah. for days, like for three or four days. Yeah. I was, I was off the rails and i knew it was happening i knew my body was not i would have been terrified to be on this stuff and i was terrified to get off of it of course um, of course and i think i saw you a lot like not over the christmas break but during this time i knew that i was looking for extra support so i i got it or i could get it and um so it started slowly and then i just tried to live my life and um and when i say live my life i wasn't putting pressure on myself to live a good life i was just saying like i'm gonna get through each week and see if there's something I can I can get out of this. And yeah. I started a bunch of things. Well, I should say I started a few things and continued a few things that were very helpful to me. 
that um, kept me connected to my family, like a games night and all this stuff, you know, and um, slowly, you know, I play a lot more video games. I did a lot of lazy stuff, but I'd still go see people. I kept my job. My job went through a couple stressful times where the company I was working for got acquired. They moved me around. Mm-hmm. And again, I just, I remember it was here, actually. I'm in the place where it, it happened. I was like four weeks into my coming off the benzodiazepines, which I know it was, it was small dose by the time I started reducing. Yeah. But um, for me, it was a big obstacle, you know, and I took my damn time. It took me eight months. And by the end, I remember I was thinking the end would be profoundly challenging. But the thing that was helpful about the end was that the amounts that I was taking were so absurdly small that I was like, if my sleep is starting to improve and I'm starting to feel better, it's probably not going to be harmed by me getting off of this speck of nonstand that if I breathed it in through my nose, I wouldn't notice, you know, it was so tiny. Um, (laughs) But probably the hardest part was like four months in halfway point when okay what made that the hard part it was a combination of like knowing that i don't know something in my mind was like this is going from a meaningful dose to a non-meaningful dose and so if something bad's gonna happen and also like every time i reduced the dose it was on like two weekish three weekish schedules the first one nothing happened but after that something happened every time and i don't know if it was like what combination of it was my body responding and what combination was actual withdrawal but I experienced like a bazillion things during this withdrawal. Like I won't enumerate everything, but this is when the nervous practices really started to help because I go through days where I was in, like churning, like my brain was going nuts. My body was going insane. I'd feel like just this agitation. I would stop the practice that I specifically found helpful was I would stop. I would get to the floor, lie on something hard, uh, do an orienting thing where you're kind of like looking around and seeing slowly what's around you and you're not feeling comfortable at this point. It's still really uncomfortable. Yeah. And then I'd close my eyes after I'd done this for a while. And I'd ask myself, is there some kind of like stress response that my body wants to complete? I don't know what it was about that wording when I found it that was so effective. But mm-hmm. I get like this feeling of just like some part of me losing it, like just freaking out in a good way, like letting it out. Whether it was like I need to run or I need to like beat something up or, or whatever, it would, it would play that out. And then it would calm down. So I don't think it would have been possible or as easy for me to get through that act of coming off of the benzodiazepines if I hadn't had this practice. Um, because there were times where it was like I told by then. And I would go do this expecting nothing to happen. And it would come down by like seven notches. Wow. And it's rare for me where I, like, I don't believe when I do things anymore that they have immediate impact. But this was something that more or less continues to have immediate impact. I'm not fussed if it goes away. Like, yeah. it's not a thing that I need to work, but it really helps me. And um, I never would have found it if I hadn't gone through this exercise of saying, like, the source of this knowledge, you know, I have a really challenging time with. I don't like it, but I'll give it a shot. And, uh, yeah. And maybe we can we can explain a little bit for the listeners who actually don't know what we're talking about when we say lay on the floor orienting, yeah, kind yeah. of what we're talking about. So some of the work that we did together, and I know you've done quite a bit more work side of about outside of our work, but was kind of this practice of getting into the body in a way that helps our brain know where we are in time and space, helps our brain know that it's safe and and stable and grounded. And so there are some different kind of exercises that are sort of referred to as orienting exercises. But some of the main idea is just this concept that 
A lot of the times when we're in high stress states, uh, you know, high levels of hyperarousal, anxiety, things like this, the part of our brain that is normally normally working to identify where we are in time and space can have trouble doing that. And that's not a process we're conscious of, of course, but when our brain is having a little bit of trouble with that, we can actually feel even more anxious or hyperaroused as a result. And so orienting practices are just ways to help our brain either orient to the body, in other words, come into the body, or orient to our surroundings. So orient to the to the room that we're in, things like that. And it just is quite literally ways for the brain to help us help identify, okay, I'm here. I'm not in the past experiencing that horrible night I had, right? I'm here, not there. I'm in the body. I'm safe. Or I'm in this room right now. And it sounds really simplistic. I remember when I first heard about this, like this kind of stuff, I thought, well, that's overly simple, but it can be really powerful stuff. And so one way to do this, as Mike mentioned, was you mentioned kind of laying on the floor, right? And and the reason why that can be an orienting practice is the moment you're on a firm surface like that, your brain can really sense where your body ends and the floor begins. So you can feel those contact points along the body and it helps that identification happen or that connection happen. So that was just one example. Uh, I just wanted to kind of share for, for everybody listening kind of what we were talking about. That can essentially signal signal safety. And I know, Mike, you've done so much work in the nervous system realm, kind of even beyond this and, and ongoing. So I think that's it's really great that this was one of the areas that was helpful as you went along this journey. Yeah, thanks. And what's interesting is that you you gave me an exercise when we first met that was an orienting exercise, and it didn't help me much at all at that time. It just, again, a, one of these things that took a bit of practice. And I think for me, it was also a mindset shift. Of, well, sorry, it wasn't a mindset shift. I think I was just in hell when it started and like things were only going to help so much. Yeah. But as time went on, the things that helped helped a bit more. Makes sense. So, yeah, I think the things that I kind of, I had to shift is like previously when I did a lot of this work, like nervous system things, they'd have models for things like maybe your body, they have explanations, you know, and I liked, I, I've done a video like this before for a different group that helped me prior three or four years ago. And looking back at that video, I remember telling them that the reason why I really liked their methodology is they gave me a model that I could use. I could work through it. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Like for me now, I, maybe I've gone too far the other way. I don't ask why about pretty much anything anymore. And I think why is sort of an arrogant question a lot of the time. Mm. Um, we're quite small. We have no idea what's going on most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've had to kind of separate out is like, I feel for the folks doing this kind of work because I think a lot of times they need to refer to science or whatever to help people feel comfortable with it. But like, they don't know why this stuff works. Come on. Like there's... <laughs> it's all at the beginning stages of things, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 And like, uh, it doesn't take long to, to dig into them and realize like this stuff's not proven, but you, you're going into it in mindset of like debunking isn't helpful. Yeah. Right. They may not know why or how a particular thing helps a certain group of people. And, you know, the, the model that they're offering may be falsifiable and that's fine. I'm okay with that. I just want to try the thing and see if it helps me. Whereas before this was not going to fly like I, I needed to have and i think what's behind that is some certainty that if i try it, it's going to work yeah. if you kind of are able to eventually practice saying okay you know this thing might not work maybe it'll just help me that to me was a huge shift it may not work maybe it will just help me yeah. you know, that a lot of this tension something happened to me and i googled it it's not even that i'm like no don't do it it's like it doesn't even register yeah. anymore. well because like, you've gone there so many times yeah. yeah but um yeah, so I mean, maybe 
just to wrap up, like I think uh, <laughs> this year, because we're getting near the end of it. Well, it was a long one. You know, um, I finished tapering off of the benzodiazepines in not too long ago. I would guess it would have been August. So it took mm-hmm. eight months. And then after that, I mean, I feel like things are much better than they were even before this all started. I don't get panic attacks at night anymore. Generally speaking, I'm able to help regulate myself a lot better. I didn't realize how toxic my lifestyle was to myself. Even though on paper, everything was fine. I was doing everything that was healthy. I was going to the gym. I was constantly under pressure that I was exerting on myself. And this is known with folks who go through, it's a repeated pattern, folks who experience a quest, difficult to diagnose illnesses a lot of times. Yeah, the mind-body. Pleasers, yeah. Yeah, people-pleasers. I like how you said that. That's a big one. Yeah, well, and I'd gone through this whole barrage of like fixing myself kind of once before and it helped me. So I was like, well, what else could be left? But what really helped me this time around is um, I connected with my family and it turns out this is really common in my family. Nobody talks about it. Now they do. But um, there's something in the combination of our upbringing and our genetics that every single person on my mother's side of the family has this thing where they're like possessed that they must be good. <laughs> you know, like they must be, yeah. they must perform and like they're really rigid about what that means they put really high expectations on themselves and what was funny is that i just absorbed that and thought i was normal but it was really helpful to talk to them and and just understand there's folks younger than me in my family and folks older than me in my family that are living this all in their own ways and some of them have really brutal insomnia yeah. so i've been trying what i can to help them but and then i think the second thing and this is maybe difficult to hear and difficult to talk about and i'm this is probably around the time where when i was really in it and I was listening to other people's videos, I probably would have hit pause at this point. So, you know, if you're not, if you're not open to hearing difficult things right now, I feel you hit pause. And maybe this is our trigger warning for the... <laughs> well, I guess, yeah. It's not just that. It's like, I don't know about triggers, but I think it's more like, you know, when you're in it, you don't want more of it, you know. But um, in those times where I was just minute by minute living with this feeling that my life was utterly destroyed, that, you know, I would rather die than be where I was. Um... That lasted for a long time. And I think for me, this point where I'm at, where I'm feeling healthier, feeling better, feeling more at ease with my life, I think I would have gotten here regardless. But this made it go a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And because it was that violent, I don't know how to put this in. It's easy to say when you're in a bit of a better situation, but I kind of became friendly with the concept of death. And not just the concept, like just being with it and not just death, but like things being horrific yeah. and in a way that's like, I can't, I can't, you know, and, uh, it happens and I don't want it to happen, but I'm kind of friends with it now. And it comes up a lot in unexpected places. Like, uh, yeah. So it comes up and I end up feeling like I, I want to write about this right now to myself or, or something like that. So yeah. it's really shaped me um and it's made a lot of things easier Mm -hmm. and i I actually find myself confused now when i'm with people i'm close with and they're so wired to like this needs to be perfect and i need to succeed at this and i need to do these things to my house and i like to me it's sick yeah not sick as in like um you are a sick person sick as in like i hope you get healthier you know like this seems crazy but that's how i was you know and 
Makes sense. This is kind of helps soften me a little bit, I think. But uh, yeah, in terms of like outcomes, like I sleep fine now. Uh, there's the jerks still stick around, but they're just like hello. And uh, <laughs> often it's when I'm falling asleep, I'll get a couple jerks. Doesn't stop me from falling asleep. And then um, I had been really stressed about this job change because I'm my hours are earlier. I start at seven. Mm-hmm. And at the time it was uh, mornings were brutal. I used to be a morning person, but you know, mornings were brutal. Yeah. And when the time came to make the change, you know, because I had a few months notice that, or, you know, anyways, I was stressed about it, but I thought to myself, like, you know, when I get there, it may be different than where I am now. And lo and behold, it just, it was easy. You know? Yeah. First day I just got up and it was fine. And now it's actually, I prefer this because I can do things like this. You know, that's amazing. Can I circle back for a second and ask you when you brought up kind of feeling like you had made friends with the concept of morality, death, th- these sorts of topics that I think sometimes are are under discussed w- within this kind of experience. What helped you make friends with it a little bit more? I know it's a hard question. And like it- I got to a certain point where I wasn't terrified anymore. And again, like it's possible that, you know what I wonder, and it's actually like wondering, it's not fear. Let's say I go to the doctor tomorrow and you know, I get a diagnosis for something that's fatal. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I would react. Like I might get thrown right back into it, but I'm okay with that. Like that's the difference. Mm-hmm. I think it's not that I know that I'm invulnerable or anything like this. I'm if somebody gives me really bad news, of course, my I understand my reaction may be anywhere from okay to back mm-hmm. into hell, right? Mm-hmm. But what I have seen is that even in situations that are pretty bad, they move around doesn't go to 11 and stay at 11 like it stayed at 11 for like three weeks yeah but even then there were times you know mm-hmm. where things would get lighter for an hour so it's not great but i've seen it now and i've seen it in a situation where i wasn't resisting it 100 percent. and i think that was the difference it, was, it took me a long time to detect mm-hmm. when i'm resisting things because we're <laughs> at least i the way I was raised and the way I was taught in school and all this stuff is you're wired to conquer. You're wired to be. Yes. Yeah. And, um, to fight, fight back. Stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You can't fight the universe. So I don't know if that helps, but that's yeah. a lot of the things that get me feeling things on this topic and um, getting me to, to feel it and think about it are unexpected. And so a lot of times when I'm writing it out, like I, I was at a farmer's market or something on the weekend and I, f- I was with a friend and they're like, oh, I have a friend here who's uh, got an art exhibit. Let's go see it. And I went to see it. It was about death and grief. And I was like, FML, like why? <laughs> well, I was about to leave. And I've gotten used to saying like, no, can't, you know. But there was something, the music that was playing drew me in. And I went and I walked through it and I asked, I could have some time alone. And I just sat for like, I don't know how long. 10 minutes and I didn't know what I was thinking but I knew what I was feeling and uh, I came out after it was done I wrote a I have an online I used to share a lot about mental health stuff online and mm-hmm. I used to speak about it I don't do it anymore this is a rare thing I'd ask my last name not get disclosed either <laughs> yeah, but no um, I write anonymously because it helps me say what I want to say but I don't feel safe anymore mm-hmm. I think part of me being able to speak publicly about what I was going through was because in my mind, like in my body, what that told me is that I'd conquered it. I'd won. 
So it was okay for me to talk about it. But when I got thrown back into it, I was not okay to talk. About it. And now I'm at the other side and like, it doesn't do me any good to discuss these things in public with my identity attached. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's healthy. I don't want to do it anymore. And what I found is I still wanted to do it though. I just didn't want it to do with my identity attached. I was surprised. So I do write, I have an anonymous journal. It's on the internet and I can share it with people by email and stuff and say like, hey, because mm -hmm. this, I don't know how many other people experience this, but folks know what I've gone through. And, you know, I get family members or friends coming to me and saying, hey, that yeah. thing that happened, like what happened? And I want them to know, but I don't want to relive it every time. So yeah. I've written it out once and I'm like, no, no problem. You go read this. Yeah. And uh, it's helped stab it in a public place. So all this to say, like, it's, I came out of this art exhibit and I ended up writing about it for like 30 minutes and it's not mm -hmm. coherent. So I don't know, all this to say, like, I don't know what I feel and I don't know what made it happen, but it's... I was going to ask, what did you feel when you, when you were there and you took that moment to sit? What, what came up for you? When I was a kid, I was in high school or something, or, uh, or I was in band, I got beat up a lot. And, uh, Mike, don't admit that publicly. Yeah. <laughs> I was in band. I played the clarinet. And our, um, uh, it's worse. No, I'm kidding. I played the clarinet too. It's okay. No way. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we keep finding commonalities. Yeah. Um, our band leader or whatever, what do you call it? He got us to play the soundtrack to Tommy, which I hadn't listened to since. And so a couple of days ago, I just suddenly, I was whistling the tune because I've been whistling it for 30 years. I was like, I want to go listen to the actual album. That album is interestingly about trauma, but it is so ridiculous. It's like, it is not really about anything serious. Okay. And, uh, but there's a, a part in the overture that is like a couple lines. I actually don't remember what they are anymore, but I was singing them to myself on repeat. I walked into the, the exhibit is quite dark and there's this droning sound and it does feel that felt to me like I had enough of a distance from the suffering I'd gone through mm. that I could think about it in this space without it being like a right in my face. But I also felt compelled to keep singing that song. It's really, um, I don't know why. But to me, it's like a warm, fuzzy feeling. And then there's other darkness. And uh, it feels weird to do this stuff. Like, I feel a little bit like maybe I could see how people would think it was crazy. But to me, like, you know, it's helpful to sit there and bring all these things together in the present. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't make it feel like this horrific thing that happened in the past that will come back and eat me someday. It's still here. And that's yeah. fine. You know, it actually helps me. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, but I do like it. Yeah, it's hard to explain. I get that. It's an element of of deep, again, dropping resistance to this stuff that we're uncomfortable with or we don't even like, but there's a greater piece to that. So that I mean, there was one fellow who gave a video experience a while ago, and I don't remember who he was or what his name was. I think he was in Norway. I think he maybe had two episodes. I don't remember. But uh, he'd shared a lot about his experiences with OCD and things like this. And I remember listening to his experience yeah. when I was in a better place. I don't remember why I was listening. It was in one of those periods where like, I was okay, but I would have liked to have been more okay. So, you know, those sure. were the best times to listen to those videos. Yeah, this is, that's uh, telling. And I remember thinking like, yeah, I feel this. Not yet as the same way he does, I think, but the, the way he was talking about it really, really. So. It's incredible. Well, can I ask as we begin to wrap up, I'd love to know if, if you're thinking about, let's say the people that are watching this right now that are really in in the midst of the struggle with all of this stuff. Is there anything that you'd like to share with them, whether it's something you found the most helpful or just any sort of message that you could leave them with that maybe they haven't learned on their journey yet, but you have, I but no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe and another way of, of thinking about it is if, if you could think back to yourself 
Maybe yeah, in the early true. days. Think back to yourself in the early days. Is there something that that you would say to that version of yourself from now? Yeah, I think I would try to tell them. First, the thing I would tell them is like, you're not going to be able to listen to me right now. Um, <laughs> and so that's okay. But yeah. I think what I would encourage them to do is understand that try to be sensitive to all the ways that I'm putting pressure on myself because those things are fundamentally hurting me. It sounds simple, but when I look back at all the different ways that I was putting pressure on myself at every stage, when I look back at all the different ways that I was putting pressure on myself at every stage, it was really harmful. And it's it's one of these things that sounds simple. It takes practice. Yes. And I, I think that would be another thing I would say is that these things, you don't have to believe them. You just have to practice them, but not too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. a little bit at a time and, and see what you can do. It was really harmful. And it's mm-hmm. it's one of these things that sounds simple. It takes practice. Yes. And I, I think that would be another thing I would say is that these things, you don't have to believe them. You just have to practice them, but not too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. a little bit at a time and see what you can do. Uh, I, think, yeah. I don't know what else to do. Like, I think um, it's funny going through this because I, I feel like I'm rambling. But as I work through the story, it's interesting to me what things are really stick out clearly and how much I've forgotten. Yeah. So I think that, time, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. really common. And I, I'm just, you know, so happy to know that you're, you know, I, I think that you had mentioned you are sleeping. <laughs> that's always sometimes yeah. a question I forget to ask people, believe it or not. Yeah. 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 Amazing. I know that for a couple of months after coming off the bendos, it was not the same as before. I just figured, like, yeah, my sleep will probably be different for the rest of my life. But uh, as long as I can, well, not that's it. That's fine. I'll I'll figure it out. You know, I'll find a way. Um, but yeah, on its own, kind of took a while, but it sorted itself out. Ish. Amazing. I say ish because like, whatever. Uh, I feel like I still haven't figured out the language to talk about these things, but I just don't have an expectation of it. I completely understand. And I think that it, there's also a common thread that so many of us go through a, a, a bigger journey with all of this, a journey more around, also around sort of self-discovery with this as well. And so I think, you know, you kind of shared several points that kind of lend itself to that too, around not just it being around sleep, it's kind of bigger, broader within our lives. Yeah. You know, Alina said something, uh, Coach Alina, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something that I thought really hit me hard, which was that when she first started going through her experience with insomnia, she started exploring really widely. And eventually she's like, this is too much crap. Like, I just can't. I'm just going to focus on sleep. And I think that's wise also. Just to say, like, yeah, maybe there's going to be a bigger life journey out of this, but um, it's going to happen on its own. Like, I don't need to force it. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think I feel compelled to say this because I know in a lot of videos people ask, like, you know, I don't know if this is coming and I'm stealing your thunder, but uh, steal it. Go for it. Is there is there something you're grateful for or whatever? And mm-hmm. you know, something in this do you wanna is that something we still Mike, is there anything that you're grateful for? sometimes <laughs> I will ask if there is a pursuit, yeah. you know, if there is a silver lining, something to be grateful for. And you know what? Sometimes the answer is no, not yeah. so much, and that's okay. I too. think you know what my answer is gonna be because no, I'm not grateful for this. I think uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's just real. I, I'm I appreciate what I got out of it because it's a lot. But yeah. um Careful, that sounds a little bit like gratefulness. Yeah. Well, I think there's a shift there, right, to get to grateful. Anyhow, yeah. I think a lot of times. So. No, no, it's been great. And I know myself, I think back and there are there are definitely things that I feel grateful for because I feel like I'm different as a person. And yeah, yeah who I am is completely different. Of course, my career has changed quite substantially as well. But there are definitely other parts of it that I don't 
that I don't particularly feel grateful for. So I also don't think it's an either or that we have to feel completely fully grateful or not at all. Sometimes there's almost existing on a bit of a spectrum. But with well, that, I want to yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I feel like I keep interrupting you. You're trying to end the thing. No, no. Go and go ahead. Please interrupt my ramble. Go ahead. <laughs> no, my last thing is uh, I think I was really open to you said, you know, your career is completely changed and stuff. But I think I was really open to my whole life changing. And what's interesting is I came to the end of it and internally it's changed a ton, but looking from the outside in, my life hasn't changed at all. I got the same job, same family, same friends. I live in the same place. I do the same things for fun. Yeah. I just do everything very differently, but I don't think anybody notices. But you feel differently inside. Really different, yeah. yeah. But it didn't require me like taking a detonator to my whole life. I just had to yeah. live it differently. You know? Do you feel like a greater sense of peace inside? Yeah. Amazing. I understand that completely. All right. I think that's the perfect place to end off. So with that, I really want to thank you so much for coming today, for sharing your story. It's going to help so many others, especially people who are going to relate to so many different parts of things that you shared today. So just thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Michelle. It's always good to see you and I appreciate it. You too. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. That was all for today. I hope you found this episode really eye-opening. And if you're looking for something more tangible, then head over to our website, thesleepcoachschool.com, and you'll find several coaching options where our teachings can be contextualized for you personally. If you decide to join, we look forward to seeing you on the other side.